Well, if you came in late and didn't hear us announce it, it is Cowboy Weekend. How many of you could put up with this more often? Yeah, it's pretty fun, isn't it? I like, how many of you once a year is enough? Okay. <laughs> it's so fun to be able to celebrate and just enjoy our journey with God and all this diversity and styles and preferences. I told someone the other day, I love the statement, fun church, serious mission. And I feel like that's kind of how we operate around here. We can have some fun, but we do have a serious mission, and God's helping us do that. So if you're a guest, thanks for being here. We don't ask much of our guests. We just hope you feel at home. You're among friends. There is a connection card. It looks like this. It's in the chair back in front of you. We'd love for you to take a moment and look it over. Fill it out. Put your email address and information on there. And then on the back, there's some boxes you can check. And if you check those boxes, what we will do, we're not going to call you or come over or sell your name to anybody, but we will email you information about any of the ministries you want more information about. Okay? So fill that out. Don't be afraid to. And thank you for being here. There are many wonderful Bible-believing churches here in northern Colorado, and we want you in one of them. Okay? Take out your bulletin and uh, make sure you look at what's going on the next week or two. Some highlight. And there's an insert that has tables in the mall. The reason we do those tables is for you to be able to go talk to someone. Some of the tables are sign-ups, registration. Some are just for more information. So please look through that and go by and talk to someone who can inform you of the things that you might have an interest about. Thank you for uh, considering Timberline and being here. We, um, you know, I, I, I love some of the stuff about cowboy theme. And I've had a lot of fun with this idea this weekend of having this fun, but, but the serious mission idea. And I've called this message Cowboy Up. Cowboy Up. Now, how many of you know what that means? Cowboy Up. So, yeah, I think there was even a show. I can't wear this the whole day, sorry. Um, now I have probably flathead, you know, all my thick hair. But um, What is it to, to Cowboy Up? What, what's the idea here? Is it just to kind of have determination you're facing an obstacle and they say, cowboy up. And it means, hey, suck it up, quit whining, get in there, fight your hardest fight and make it happen. Is that is that are we on track? OK, so so with that in mind, I want to talk to you from a biblical perspective about what it means to cowboy up, because sometimes in our lives, it's not at all about our strength or determination. We're told in this book also to die to self. And we lay down and we surrender and we say, God, I can't do anything. There are other times when we have to have the mental preparedness. And that's what Paul's talking about to the church at Ephesus, which we're going to read in a moment. The mental readiness and the physical readiness to understand who our enemy is and to fight this battle. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to talk about. I came across several things as I was looking at the whole cowboy theme and the idea, and something that was very interesting was Gene Autry's Code of the Cowboy. And there are ten things that are stated about a real cowboy and what their life should be like. The, the first one is the cowboy must never shoot first, hit a smaller man, or take unfair advantage. Second, he must never go back on his word or a trust confided in him. These are pretty good. Number three, he must always tell the truth. And we're going to come back to that one and talk extensively about it. Number four, he must be gentle with children, the elderly, and animals. 
Number five, he must not advocate or possess racially or religiously intolerant ideas. Number six, he must help people in distress. Number seven, he must be a good worker. Number eight, he must keep himself clean in thought, speech, action, and personal habits. Number nine, he must respect women, parents, and his nation's laws. Number ten, the cowboy is a patriot. As I read through that list, I thought, that's a pretty good list. I mean, there's some principles in there that would create a wonderful life, someone that you could trust and believe in. And how many times do we see traits like that in this book where, under the anointing of the Spirit, we find qualities that God is encouraging us to take on into our lives? Now, before we go too much farther and open our Bibles to Ephesians 6, I have to tell you a few new songs that I found that are country music titles. Now, I've I've read a few of these before here, but I found some new ones that I had never seen before. These are real songs. Okay, This is the name of the song. And if you follow country music and I I give the name of a song that's really a bad song, I am sorry in advance because I didn't know it was a bad song. I just know the titles, okay? So please bear with me. But these are hilarious. These are real songs. I love this one. How can I miss you if you won't go away? (laughs) This one's so random. I've been roped and thrown by Jesus in the Holy Ghost Corral. I kind of want to hear that, but I'm afraid to. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Who thought of that? Don't you know when that phrase hit them, they thought, I can make a fortune by writing a country western song. That's funny. I like this one too. When you leave, please walk out backwards so I'll think you're walking in. (laughs) This is terrible. You're the reason our baby's so ugly. I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. (laughs) Oh, this is good. I keep forgetting that I forgot about you. (laughs) The The last word in lonesome is me. This is funny. I bought the boots that just walked out on me. Last but not least, I liked you better before I knew you so well. <laughs> Crazy. You know why you know why these titles are funny? You know why country music has, has captured the hearts of so many? It's because so many of the songs deal with real life stuff. So many of the songs have a story. And it's a story of revenge or a story of love or it's a play on words. And suddenly we are captured into this idea. And as we live life, complex things happen to us. We need to know that today. As much as we laugh, there could be a lot of tears today if we opened up and started hearing the stories of people's lives in this room and these auditoriums right now because there's some serious stuff going on in the complexity of our lives, in relationships, in a financial realm, 
in friendships, with siblings, with parents, on and on and on we could go with all the complexities um, in our lives. And so, how can we cowboy up in a spiritual sense? How can we be prepared for the worst and hope for the best? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 10, open your Bible. The first thing in your outline, if you have a bulletin on the back, is this. What is preparedness? What does it mean to be prepared for the worst. And we're going to talk about that because Paul talks about it. Let me just give you a, a sketch of what we're about to read. It's a really familiar passage. If, if you've walked with the Lord, it's typically the banner on top of this will say the armor of God. How many have heard of that? Okay. The armor of God. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he is, he is alerting them to the fact that they're going to face trials and issues and they can win. They can get through it. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Verse 10, a final word. This is because it's the last chapter of, of, it's the sixth and it's kind of the end of his letter. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, just as a cowboy will dress appropriately for their work, or an event, or for something in a rodeo. Paul is basically saying, you and I must put on a spiritual armor. It's not meaning for real physical, like you have your little helmet that you put on every morning. But they're all imagery. And these are things that we need to talk about in terms of how can we be emotionally ready to face our enemy and the strategies of the devil. Let me just say this. Satan has strategies that will work against you. He can take you on in a pretty serious way. And without the armor of God, without the preparedness in your heart, your mind, your physical body, you are not going to win in the battle when it comes to fighting the enemy of your soul. He's stronger than you. We know that God is greater than the enemy. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in where? The world. But we need to take note here before we move on. He does have power in the world. And we can't take that lightly. Number two in your outline is this. Who is our enemy? Who is our enemy? Who creates havoc in our lives? Who is the author of deception and lack of forgiveness and, you know, being at war with others? If I said, write down the name of your enemy on your notes today, I wonder how many of you would write down the name of a person or a company you work for or whatever, which is a mistake because of what we're about to read. Verse 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You know what that means? That little phrase there, Greek means not of human kind. Our enemies aren't human. Let's keep reading. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now this is not to freak us out to make us scared. But there is such a thing as spiritual warfare for your soul and your mind and your body. And you and I have to cowboy up, if you will, to say, I will have a determination in my life not to 
fight just in the flesh. And I see this in marriages all the time. I see people get their eye on someone they think is the enemy, but it's really not their enemy. It's those spirits in high places. Here's, here's a good analogy. Um, how many of you have ever ridden a bull? A big bull. I mean, like a rodeo type. One, two. Anybody else? Three. Okay. Wow. What were you thinking? It's amazing. I, I just, it's just amazing. I, closest thing I've ever come, and I've, I've grown up around horses, and we've had horses, and I've ridden a couple uh, bucking horses, but those bulls, um, I was doing a, I was speaking at a rodeo camp for cowboys, serious cowboys, and one of the events was bull riding. And they had some big, mean bulls. And they said, Derry, why don't you let us help you get down on a bull and tie you on like we do, and we won't open the gate. And I said, promise? Because <laughs> I really did want to have this sensation. And I'm, I'm not kidding. It was, it was so scary. I nestled down. This bull is kicking and moving all around. They got the meanest fun because we weren't going to leave the gate. I was happy about that. And I, I nestled down onto that bull, and I mean, you can feel it arch, you can feel the sinews of its muscle ripping, and, and just, just the power, just insane. And they tied my hand down with one of those ropes that they do, and twisted all around, and I just felt like, man, this is crazy. And I just wanted off, you know, I'd say, thank you, I'm done. Okay, that was about as much bull riding as I, as I need to do. I'm telling you this because when a cowboy rides a bull, let me ask you a question. Is the bull the enemy? What do you think? No. Not at all. As a matter of fact, you will, have, you will hear cowboys say things like, I hope I draw a really good bull. Which means the bull that bucks the hardest and the best of all the other bulls. <laughs> There's a thought. Give me the mean one. Why? Because I just learned this. 50% of the score comes from how well the bull bucks. And 50% of the score, 50 points, because there's 100 total, comes from how well the rider rides. And so if in your mind, you can just follow me here. The bull and the cowboy are partnering together to get the highest possible score. Now, it might sound kind of weird to say, you... With this trial you are in, have a chance to score really high on the integrity chart. You following me here? Now, I think it's an exaggeration to say, I want to get a really mean trial to see where I'm at. Okay, and I don't think God's going to send us that. But there's something powerful about recognizing that that person right in front of me is not the enemy. It's not your spouse. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not your boss. And sometimes we, we, we are, are really guilty of, of having this flesh and blood desire and we get angry and we're frustrated and yet it's not the bull. It's not the trial itself. That's why God wants you to live in peace and trust Him and cast your cares on Him. That's why James actually says, count it all joy when you face trials and tribulation. Because you know you have victory through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean it always works out the way you want it to. But it means God will never leave you. But that's dependent on whether you can cowboy up and whether you can really do what God is asking you to do. Number three, 
How can I properly face the challenges in my life? How can I properly really face things if it's not flesh and blood? I think here's the deal. If it's not a person, because I I can't tell you how much energy people waste by being mad at someone else. How much energy? The angst that you have in your life, the, the fret, the want to get even, the anger. You know, all you're doing is you're letting the enemy use that person to distract you from the truth. Now, it's true. Someone might bug you. It's true. There might be someone who who gets under your skin, but it's the enemy who's using them to do that. And so please pay attention to the reality here. So how can I properly face the challenges? Paul is about to go into this idea of the armor. And there's a bunch of pieces. Verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Notice why. So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. That's our hope. We can go through the battle. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say we can avoid all the battles. It says at the end of the battle, we can be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on, and then here's this description, the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, for shoes put on the peace that comes with the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I've preached on this before, lots of pastors have, and there's lots of metaphor analogies and you could pull a shield up here and a helmet and a sword and talk about them but rather than do that i want to walk through six kind of key thoughts about why i think paul is using this metaphor of this armor okay so in your notes number one is this learning resistance learning to resist uh temptation and evil you know you might walk into a trap the first time but if you walk into the same trap the second time, you got to own it, right? Satan is subtle and he's tricky. And there are traps that he will set for you that might get a hold of you, get a tentacle around you and pull you in. And when you recognize that, you say, okay, I don't want to have my life wasted living in that realm. And as spiritual warfare comes into our lives, we must learn how to resist temptation. I, I want to recognize it. See, I want to be able to say, okay, I see the enemy here. I see how he could work in this situation. He wants me to blame that person. He wants me to put a, send an email. Take that. He wants, he wants me to try to have the final say instead of cultivating a gentle spirit, a heart of God. Instead of trying to get the root to the root of what the problem is, you, you can see how this happens. Number two, face all challenges with the truth. This is so vitally important. You know what I see sometimes? I see people who are living in denial and they're not owning the reality they need to own in order to overcome the stuff they're trying to overcome. And they say they want out of it. They say they want deliverance, but they don't because their behaviors show otherwise. If you're going to cowboy up, you're going to have to change some patterns, change some ways that you think. It's not about just learning how to be a better liar so you can hide your tracks better, which is how some people seem to to reason. Oh, I'll never do that again. No, walk in the truth. The Bible talks about this truth that sets us free. And, And that's because when we walk in the truth, there's nothing else to hide. 
And that's that's an empowerment that comes by the spirit that enables us to be honest and truthful. So the greatest deception of all is when we lie to ourselves. Where are you really? Do you know your weaknesses? Can you understand? Sin doesn't usually happen at the end result. That, you know, that's lived out at the end. But when we walk through the door, that's when we that's when we blew it. When we put our eyes on that, that's when we blew it. When we engage in the thought of knowing what might happen if we go to that party, that's when we blew it. We have to come back to that place of temptation and say, it's in this place that I will determine that I will walk in the truth. Number three, remain in the peace of God. There's such peace through God. That's why Paul says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. The good news is the gospel. Jesus died, resurrected from the dead. When I put him on me, when I have my sins forgiven and I am cleansed before God, then suddenly I have the peace of God. What brings peace? Let's say you're going to take a final exam. You're a student. A lot of our students are gone this summer, but we have high school, junior high. Um, some of you are work-related. you got to take a test. Have you ever been so prepared for a test that you look forward to taking it? It's rare for me, but a few I have. Why? Because of preparedness. You look at great athletes, it's just amazing. Um, They will look forward to race day because they've spent months preparing. And they cannot wait to get on the track or to get in that marathon or whatever. Because why? Their body's ready. They are prepared. And that's how it is when you and I understand this darkness that is on the earth and we walk in preparedness with salvation. Suddenly the peace of God can come over me. That destroys fear. Some of you living in anxiety and worry and you don't understand my grandkids and my... And it's hard. And I'm not saying it's easy. But when you put your center... In the center of God, you can walk in the peace of God that passes all understanding in this realm on the earth. Number four, face your fear through faith. Okay, we're going to walk in the peace of God. But then Paul says, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows. Now, here's a picture. This is a picture of how the Romans did war. Right? Okay. The Roman Empire is ruling at this time that Paul's writing this letter. And they would light arrows on fire and shoot them at the enemy. And they would make shields that had fire retardant and stuff on it so that when the fire would hit the shield, it would put out the flame and obviously stop the arrow. I've studied this and read this so many times, but you know, I saw something brand new a couple of weeks ago when I was looking at this, thinking about the shield. And it's not that profound, but it's worth mentioning. Anytime you use a shield and you're taking fiery arrows in the shield, it means one thing for sure. It means you are facing your enemy. Now just think about that. If, if you turn and run, you're going to get shot in the back. But the fact that I have a shield that's taking arrows in the front means I'm facing who or whatever it is that's trying to put those arrows in me. I like that. That's, that's the cowboy upside of this that I really like. It's us saying, look, I'm not going to live in denial. I'm going to stand with this shield and I'm going to face my enemy head on. And it's the only way they could actually gain ground when they're coming under fire. So take that shield and gain ground when you're coming under fire. Number five, practice transformed thinking. When, when Paul says put on 
you know, salvation as your helmet. It's, it's really dealing with the mind because he also talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and when we put this book in our mind with the peace that comes from having salvation, then our mind responds to God and not to the flesh. And it's a really important component. So I will learn to respond in godly ways instead of my old patterns. <laughs> How many of you have those? <laughs> and suddenly that temper tantrum, and suddenly I'm not going to throw things anymore. Suddenly I'm not going to scream at somebody. I'm going I'm to make that subject itself to the greater Spirit of God within me than that spirit in the world. My old patterns begin to diminish. And I practice those behaviors by recognizing when I'm overwhelmed with an emotion that needs to be under control. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights here at Timberline. If you have a tendency to stay in those old patterns, come for a few weeks and break through and let people pray with you and help you through it. Okay? The, number six is just simple. Let your life philosophy come from Scripture. However you're going to live your life and whatever those little takeaway statements are about how you want to, to make a difference on the earth, let those principles not just come from your own ideas, but let them come from the truths that are in the Word of God. And that's why Paul uses this idea of the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword that allows us to go through the gunk and make it all the way through. You know, the last thing that I want to talk about for just a few minutes today is number four in your outline there, and it's this. I must learn not to let my guard down. I must learn not to let my guard down. I have seen people who do really well for a while, and then it's almost like they get confidence in themselves rather than God and fail even bigger than their failing was before. Let me read verse 18. Listen to this. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul is trying to say, we need each other. Pray for me. I pray for you. We need to pray for one another in friendships. And, and that we can be strong. That we can be overcomers. I had an interesting thing that I saw. It's been a few years ago, but it has always stuck in my mind. And I just thought of it because of Cowboy Weekend and thinking of these bull riders. There was a, I think it was on ESPN, and there was this really great cowboy who was in the lead, and he needed one more great ride. That he, and he, They said almost any score that he gets, he's going to win because they add them up as they go. And uh, he, he drew this really great bull, I guess, and the bull came out bucking great. And the cowboy stayed on the bull for the full time. Last night I said seven or nine seconds, whatever it is, and someone said eight. I said, well, I was close. Okay, eight. Eight seconds. He made it to the end of that eight seconds. And then in an unbelievable move, which cowboys must just learn this, he pulled that rope out from underneath his hand to free his wrist. And he kind of rolled kind of off the side of the bull, right in the right kick of the bull, and literally went up in the air and came down and landed right on his feet, standing up. Perfect ride, perfect landing. Have you ever seen this? I mean, I think it's pretty rare, but he did it. 
And the crowd went crazy. I mean, it was like you could just see his elation. And his hat was still on. So he's like taking his hat off, you know, waving. Well, what he didn't see was right after he did that and the bull was going the other way, the bull turned and caught his eye on that cowboy who had just had a perfect ride. And that bull came charging back at that cowboy. And you could feel the panic in the arena of this guy who had had this perfect ride. And he was relaxed and he had, he had let himself enjoy the moment a little too much. But he was a good cowboy and he was an experienced cowboy. So he was watching for the bull too. And that bull turned and was about right there. And that cowboy jumped up on this gate, one of the chutes, and pulled his legs up and the bull hit the wall and it was, you know, commotion and, and, and then it was happy because they got the bull out of there. And that, that whole picture, I think, is such a great picture of sometimes how we do life in spiritual battles. We can have a great win. You know, you go through something and there's real integrity and you overcome a temptation and something goes great. It's kind of like if you're trying to lose weight. Anyone can relate to this. You have four or five really good days You've been so healthy, you've done so well, and you just need to reward yourself. It's God's will. It has to be. Right? And without even realizing it, you, you can... It, why is it that in one or two meals you can undo what's taken a week? I don't get that, do you? But that's how it works. And sometimes in our spiritual life with these battles that we fight... We have success and success. And I know God works with us. He partners with us. But let's not forget. Here's the takeaway line I want you to have. There's always a bull in the arena called life. Always. And we're at peace. And we don't live in fear or anxiety. But we must be aware. There is a bull in the arena. And he wants to take me out. Because when that cowboy came off of that bull, the partnership ended. And that bull wanted a piece of that cowboy, and that cowboy wanted out of there. There's one other takeaway that I want you to think about. There are times in the arena when it's better to just run. Just run. That's why the Bible says run from evil. No, don't look at it. Don't entertain it. Don't tell us how the ways you can overcome it. No, just run. And for some of you today, don't play with fire. Don't ever start playing with fire. Don't ever look at that. Don't ever open that. Don't ever pay attention to that. Just run. Before we pray, before we have a, a final song, you know, I bought this cowboy shirt yesterday. and I even bought this hat, which I kind of like. <laughs> kind of, you know, for days like this. I even got a buckle. I even got a buckle. Never had a buckle before. I'm feeling pretty good. All this, all this stuff doesn't make me a cowboy. How many of you knew that? Doesn't make me a cowboy. <laughs> you know, when we talk about the armor of God, coming to church, even giving in an offering, wearing the label of Christian, doesn't make you a God follower. A God follower Take serious the message of God and puts on the armor of God and is determined for righteousness to rule and reign in their life and the lives of others. Amen.
sometimes it's just about never giving up and continuing to press through the hard times and to trust Him. There's a song called Anyway. You know, when uh, we took a trip to Jerusalem, some people from Timberline several years ago now, I walked into a synagogue and I had a ball cap on. And just because I have grown up in America and you always take your hat off in church, and, and uh, uh, though we don't make that a rule around here, I took my hat off when I walked into the synagogue and a rabbi came rush, rushing over to me and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you put your hat back on. You must cover your head when you're in the synagogue. So, y'all come back now, you hear? God bless you. Have a great day.